Hello and welcome to episode number 20 of Making Media Now, a filmmaker's collaborative podcast. I'm your host, Michael Azevedo. In this episode, I speak with first-time filmmaker Caroline Treadway about her documentary called Light. Drawing on Caroline's personal struggle with an eating disorder and her first-hand experience as a climber, Light illuminates the seldom-discussed issue of eating disorders in the world of professional rock climbing, particularly among its female athletes. Here is the trailer. I can still remember a moment where I was climbing when I was really light. I just remember feeling like I was water over the rock. Growing up, my personality was always like, I want to be better than I am. I can be better than I am. To me, it was just like I was putting in the work to be a strong climber, and that was my goal, and that's the only thing that mattered. I just wanted to be the best rock climber possible. You're looking at everybody going, oh, they know something's up. I just remember having no energy. I didn't like climbing. I knew that I was depressed, and I knew this wasn't sustainable, but I was winning. You deprive yourself, you starve yourself, and then you send. Even though you knew that this person was doing it and you were doing it, the whole community kind of like praised you for doing it. You couldn't really talk about it. I would have considered her to be one of my closest friends then. And it was the big, huge, tiny, skinny elephant in the room. When I first started writing for the climbing magazines, I pitched stories about this, but no one was interested. No one wants to hear about eating disorders. Total downer. But now it's time. We're going to talk about it. While the film focuses primarily on professional rock climbers, those marvels of strength and speed who ascend heights with seeming ease and grace, Light also opens up a conversation about eating disorders that reaches well beyond the often insular climbing community and into the fuller arena of competitive outdoor athletes, particularly female athletes. Since its streaming debut in February, the 45-minute film has been viewed close to 160,000 times on YouTube alone, and as you'll hear Caroline share, has prompted viewers from across the globe to reach out to her to share their stories and struggles with eating disorders. Making Media Now is sponsored by Filmmakers Collaborative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting media makers from across the creative spectrum. From providing fiscal sponsorship to presenting an array of informative and educational programs, Filmmakers Collaborative supports creatives at every step in their journey. To learn more, visit filmmakerscollab.org. And if you're enjoying this podcast, we encourage you to please subscribe and leave a review. And now on to my conversation with Caroline Treadway. Hello and welcome Caroline Treadway to Making Media Now. Hi, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for making the time to chat with us. And you were just sharing with me that you are chatting with us from South Lake Tahoe in Northern California. That's considered Northern California, right? I think so. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm new to California, so I still have some things to learn. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a beautiful spot. I uh, I was there one time myself about uh, I can't believe it's been almost 20 years. But in any case, so your film is called Light, L-I-G-H-T. And I will tell you that I discovered your film just recently uh, through Outside Online. 
the um, the online companion or version of Outside Magazine, and I was so pleased to have done so. Uh, so inform our listeners of what the synopsis of your film is. Well, first of all, thank you very much. I'm so glad you found the film. Um, Light is a personal, intimate story about um, eating disorders and rock climbing, which has been kind of a taboo topic for a long time. <laughs> so it um, light, the title refers to feeling light, like at the top of your game athletically, but also um, bringing light to an issue that's been kind of in the dark corners of the sport um, and not really acknowledged to the extent that I guess I thought it should be. <laughs> um, and then light in terms of opening up, you know, so it's working up. on a lot of different levels. Yeah. And creating conversations, things that are real struggles. So tell me about uh, how, how the inspiration for this particular film uh, came to you and maybe a bit about your background, either in the world of female outdoor athletes uh, and in the, in the world of storytelling. Well, I've always been a writer. So I've been writing since I was a kid. It's what I always loved to do. It's um, was my escape growing up. And so um, it's how I experience the world and how I process difficult things. I was very, I'm very excited. That I've gotten to this point in my writing where I can um, have a more compassionate perspective about things. <laughs> and I think that's come with age. Mm -hmm. uh, but also just doing a lot of work on myself. And so, yeah, what was your question again? <laughs> I was curious. Well, I've been thinking about this. Yeah, from... this particular subject matter, and not just this subject matter, but this subject matter in the world of, uh, of, of climbing and female athletes, outdoor athletes. Yeah, so I think it's kind of a double-edged double sword of sports sometimes because you... Like I discovered a lot of self-confidence and, um, you know, I, I got physically stronger as a climber. And so that helped me kind of recover from my eating disorder because I was hungry and I felt good about my body and I was moving around and, you know, eating more and being more adventurous and all these kinds of things. But I think that there are a lot of reasons why people might struggle or suffer from an eating disorder or disordered eating and climbing might not be the cause, but it sort of dovetails really well mm -hmm. with um, these qualities that make competitive athletes so great. Like, you know, um, being able to withstand pain and suffering and push yourself and, um, you know, achieving, achieving, achieving. So that's something that I saw in climbing, um, you know, how, did I had you, this, how did you begin to immerse yourself in that particular world? I was living at home at the time I was going to college and actually my sister taught me how to rock climb. I have an older sister okay. and um, she was a Knowles instructor. She worked for the National Outdoor Leadership School for many years. And I took a women's climbing clinic in Lander, Wyoming. And I was like, this is what I want to do. And I got into climbing in about, I think it was 1997. And so at that time and place, there were a lot of people who were really strong climbers. And I just kind of started to, you know, know people and get in the scene. And it was very small at the time. And then it's really grown. So now climbing is this huge, you know, industry and sure. it's going to the Olympics. And yep. I yeah. didn't know it was going to the Olympics. It's going to be an Olympic event. 
Yes, this year or wow. this coming. Yeah. Wow. That's huge. And how did this come to dovetail with your work uh, in photography? I'm a climber myself. I've been climbing for over 20 years. Um, and I had some injuries pretty early in my climbing career. And so I shifted into photography because that kept me connected to the sport that I loved and my community and being outside. Um, so I, and I knew I wanted to write. So I started to, I was like, well, if I can write and shoot photos, then I really have something more to offer the magazines. And that's how I sort of got into working for the magazines, like Climb Magazine, Rock and Ice, and, and just kind of, it was just my scene. You know, I was sure. just in, in the scene. Mm -hmm. I wasn't myself like a, a real badass climber or anything. <laughs> I mean, I'm okay. <laughs> and what was it about having had an eating disorder and being in that world, did you begin to recognize evidence perhaps of eating disorders on the part of, of climbers or how did, how did that all come together? Well, I couldn't tell if I was just sensitized to the issue because I had gone through it. And so that was the lens that I was looking at the world. Like that's all I was seeing. Right. Um, and because I struggled with my eating disorder before I started climbing, I didn't know how to, it related. Right that took a while for me to understand. So it was something that I saw, I thought that I saw and people would sometimes open up to me. People would talk behind people's backs. You know, it wasn't like nobody was talking about it at all, but the people who are struggling weren't talking about it, which I think is kind of common, right? People who are really struggling with something, it's hard when you're in the depths of it to express it. In the film, uh, the, the, the film makes really interesting. And I think from a storytelling perspective, uh, super illuminating use of animation, particularly when you're uh, reflecting back on your adolescent experience with perhaps the origins of your eating disorder. Can you talk a little bit about when your realization that you had an eating disorder came to be and, and how you saw working that into your film. Well, I kind of always knew that I was struggling, <laughs> but yeah, um, that I, I mean, when I was suffering from an eating disorder, like I knew, I knew it. I mean, I didn't really talk about it, but I knew it on the inside. And then, yeah, when I actually tried to make the film without my story in it originally, I had shot all of these interviews, like 11 interviews with people, and they were all great interviews, but I couldn't figure out how to fit it together in a way that felt the way I wanted it to feel. Like I didn't, I don't know, um, it wasn't working. And so then I decided I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to try and record VO. I've never done that before. I've never written VO before. Um, and I just went for it. And that's when I, I, I realized that through like a conversation with a friend who is another filmmaker and we were bouncing around ideas and he was like, you know, why are you telling this story? Like, why, why does it matter to you if these people recover? And I'm like, you know, and that got me thinking. Um, so I had to be really clear with myself about why I was telling the story. Um, and then that made it easier. Yeah. The use of the VO uh, is super effective and you really nailed the tone. It's very intimate. It sounds very personal. It doesn't sound like this over the top kind of voice of God or goddess VO. Uh, so congratulations on, on threading that needle. Thank you. I really wanted it to sound like a conversation with a friend. And it very much does. And, and I think that it, one of the things that's so successful about the film is it's both an intimate 
personal story, but it also, I think, um, could serve as the a springboard for a larger conversation about uh, the pressures that female athletes and females in general, uh, or males also, because they're, you know, one of the, uh, uh, the male in the film, he speaks quite articulately about the pressures that, that he was under to try to grasp this ideal. And what's really interesting is who came up with the ideal? Who decided that this is the ideal body weight? This is the ideal physique that someone should use, someone should shoot for, not just in this sport, but as an outdoor athlete. Yeah, maybe each sport has its own ideal body type. But I mean, certainly going back to like the Greeks, <laughs> you know, you have you have these ideals of what a beautiful man looks like and what a beautiful woman should look like. Right. Um, which are tied in somehow. Yep. You know, I think some people say it's just about performance. It's really hard to separate it out. I think there's a lot of reasons and some of them are going to be really, you know, subconscious. Almost. Do you think that the influence of Boulder and the Boulder culture itself exacerbates the issue? You know, I've been to Boulder uh, a good handful of times, love it there. And I'm always struck by it's almost a tyranny of fitness. Like I've never seen so many beautiful fit people. And, you know, I, I wonder if you think that the, that that culture, that location uh, plays into the way people perceive themselves, particularly female athletes or, you know, particularly performance athletes, such as the ones you're covering. Yeah. It's like the New York city of performance athletes. <laughs> That's a good way to put the it. Wall street of performance athletes. Right. Um, yeah. Which is ironic that, because is a, because on, on one level, there's a very chill sort of laid back um, vibe going on, but even within that vibe, competition can exist in many different forms. Oh yeah. I've, and as a photographer, I've worked with different sports, not just climbing, but, um, especially running and cycling. And so I've definitely seen, I mean, it's, I think it's hard to blame one thing for it, but personally, I feel like disordered eating, um, and eating disorders are kind of contagious. Like, I do think that, you know, the more you're around people who are talking about what they're eating, worried about what they're eating, critical of the bo your, their body or others' bodies, the more you sort of start having those thoughts in your own mind. And I think that that could be, um, it's like a group <laughs> problem, you know, it's almost like an epidemic, but nobody's really aware of it. And it's so normalized that it's okay. What did you go through to kind of create the level of trust that you had with the climbers uh, who tell about their own struggles in your film, because I would imagine um, that's not something that comes immediately or easily. Part of it is I've known them for uh, many years. So there's a little bit of, of trust established, but also I think it's just kind of my style for better or worse. Um, I, um, I am, I went to BU journalism. I went to Boston university journalism school um, and I do have a journalism background, but I'm also drawn to personal stories, but not that those two things have to be mutually exclusive, but Understood. I think for a long time, I was like, Oh, I have to be a journalist. I, I have to, everything has to be third person. Um, I can't inject myself into it. And I, now I'm at a point where I'm like, actually, this is my strength. 
And I'm going to try, you know, I'm going to put myself in my strength. I'm not going to try to be something I'm not. Climbing, I think, you know, perhaps in spite of the fact that it's going to be an Olympic event now, as you just informed me, it still feels very niche, a very, a very niche sport. And yet one of the things I was thinking about when I was watching your film was that the athletes, particularly the female athletes, they seem to be um, held hostage to these these perceptions and these methodologies that apply, you know, uh, across the board to whether it's gymnastics or figure skating um, or dance, um, it it seems almost ubiquitous in the sense that any place where there's females performing athletic events, there is some other entity that's determining what their bodies should look and feel like in that event. Did this feel to you like you were, be, you were able to use the world of climbing almost as a stand-in for the overall issues that, that, that women and young women face in terms of what bodies should look like? Yes. I mean, I think we all feel a pressure to look a certain way. And I think that most of us, I think, feel like a a big gulf between how we wish we were and how we are. And I think that that creates loneliness and isolation within ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, and in our communities. How did the women who were in the film come to feel about the opportunity that you were giving them to, to sort of speak their truth around this? Well, I think that, um, everybody was really supportive. You know, it was, it was incredible, um, which really felt that kind of made me feel like, okay, I'm, I'm really going to do it. Like all these other people think it's a good idea. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it was really validating because I think it's sort of like finally, and it just feels like the right time to have this conversation at least that's how I felt. Um, and I think that like Angie for sure was like, yes, let's do it. Megan Martin was an early supporter. Yes. You need to do this story. And, and Emily Harrington, she was like, I'm a hundred percent behind this. Um, and I didn't want to have anybody in the project who wasn't because I would never want to force somebody to talk about (laughs) this stuff. You know, it's only if you only people who want to share should feel like sharing, but I think there's a lot of pressure on bodies for sure. And it's interesting to think about where that comes from in climbing. I think of a lot of it is from default, like people just over time, maybe they didn't know that much about food and they just kind of, you know, figured out what worked and, um, they didn't really understand the detriment, but now that we know the detriment, it's like, um, let's talk about it. Let's be aware of it. Maybe it's impossible to be completely healthy at the top level of any sport, you know, but at least if you're aware of what the potential problems could be, then you can mitigate it a little bit. Yeah. Do you have any sense that there's, uh, within climbing or maybe in other sports, are there, are there coaches out there that are trying to help athletes achieve that balance between performance within the sport but also a healthy recognition of, of a healthily functioning body's needs in, in terms of nutrition and, and things like body weight. Since light came out, I've seen a lot of people um, advertising, you know, their abilities to, to help people. Um, I think coaching is 
Well, you know, it's interesting with light because I thought of it as such an American story, like just for the U.S. And it's gone all over the world. And so like in Spain and Italy and France and even Russia, it's being watched. It's being translated into Russian right now. And so like people in Russia are watching this. There's a completely different culture, right? They I don't think really talk about this stuff much at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really fascinating to to see that kind of multicultural response to something that I thought was kind of like, Oh, I don't know. It's, it's the U S um, it's bolder. Um, yeah. I think that speaks to the fact that the story just, it, it resonates, you know, you, you use climbing as kind of a template uh, to tell this story. Uh, but it's applicable across, you know, a, across sports and also um, obviously nationalities and, um, people having to deal with this, with this issue in their, in their own world. Just reading this morning in the New York times, uh, a profile of a freestyle skier named uh, Eileen goo. I think I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. And she was talking about, she, I think she's, she's still in her teens and she's, you know, world renowned as a freestyle skier, but she was talking about time that she spends on TikTok. And I guess there's this TikTok channel called what I ate today. And essentially it's, you know, um, visually very appealing females who are basically saying, I got away with eating just this little bit today. And it made me think about the fact that, you know, the subject of, of eating disorders and, and, and healthy body, healthy body image and healthy body weights, this isn't a new subject, but I'm wondering if, are, are we in a one step forward, two steps back type of a world right now with the proliferation of social media and the constant promotion of the self, or at least the image of the self. Yeah. It seems like people don't have the same childhood that like I, for example, managed to, um, you know, I grew up before there was the internet. Right. Um, and without those pressures. So the pressures came from magazines and movies, right? It's not like the pressure didn't exist, but I think it is different now. And I'm not sure. I can even totally understand what that's like. Like, what is it like to grow up so aware of what you look like all the time, always taking selfies? I mean, I, I was in my, you know, 30s before I took a selfie. Sure. And on the <laughs> one hand, there's the opportunity because, you know, without social media platforms, I wouldn't have discovered your film. And a lot of other people aren't going to discover your film. So there's the there's the opportunity to counterbalance. But I guess it still surprises me that the the less healthy depiction of fem- adolescent female body types still dominates. I think it needs to change, you know, and I I. I hope that light helps to change it. Yeah, I think that it changes with, you know, with with broadening the conversation around around that perception. And your film really has the potential of going a long way toward doing that. I sure hope so. I feel lucky that I've been able to see traveling the world uh, and seeing bigger bodies in a beautiful way and looking sexy and desirable. And that's shifted my perspective a little bit. You know, every time I left Boulder, I'd be like, oh, everybody's everybody looks different. Like everybody's bigger, you know, in the rest of the world right? for the most part. It's interesting. <laughs> but, and then it's hard to talk about without commenting on people's body size. Cause you don't want to comment on people's body size too much because then you're like focusing on something that's not always a great indicator of health. 
right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a that's a really important uh, distinction to make. Moving on to just speaking to you as a filmmaker, a first time filmmaker, what was your biggest challenge in making this documentary? Probably the biggest challenge in making this documentary was myself. Say more about that. <laughs> I was <laughs> I was working alone a lot. And so, you know, it just um was a lot of me, myself and I. And sometimes that's good for going into the deep creative modes and sometimes it's challenging. So I at some point reached out to an editor, Chelsea Walsh. And that was really helpful to have somebody else just to bounce ideas off, you know, and to work with. And um I think recording the VO was actually one of the hardest things, really, just the actual recording because I was nervous. Okay. I was nervous of my own the sound of my own voice. I was nervous about I don't know. I would just sit in my little closet and my hands would be sweating. And, you know, I'm like, I can't believe I'm so nervous. It's just me alone. But (laughs) (laughs) so you just described 40 hours of my usual week (laughs) sitting in a small space talking to myself. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, my gosh. Um, Well, the 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 film has added these numbers, I'm sure, have gone up. But as of this past weekend, there's over one hundred and fifty thousand views on YouTube. And talk to me a little bit about how you're responding to to the reception of the film. And if that's making you think uh, any differently um, about how you want to distribute the film, say, in addition to it being on YouTube. Well, it makes me, so a lot of my life, I've questioned myself. I've questioned my abilities, whether I'm capable of something. And so having a response like this is, is really validating of, um, that I can write. And it's also, um, well, I would like to get it to a wider audience, um, but I, I mean, the film's available online for free. I don't really feel in my gut that great about selling it for some reason, because sure. I feel a lot of people contributed things to the film, um, like friends gave me some footage or whatever to use for free. And so I would feel a little strange just turning around and um, like marketing that without compensating everybody. And, you know, you have to redo contracts or whatever it is like, so yeah, maybe there's a future for light. I certainly, my goals with the project were to get the message out to as many people who might need to hear it. Well, thank you again for taking your time, taking the time to speak with me today about your film and thank you for making this film and, and uh, bringing to light this issue, not just within the climbing community, but, but uh, within the, uh, the world of performance athletes, particularly female performance athletes. I, I have no doubt that the, uh, the reach of your film is just going to continue to grow and it's uh, benefit and impact is going to uh, continue to grow also. So we will be looking forward to seeing future work from Caroline Treadway. And thanks again. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for including me on your podcast. It's estimated that at least 30 million people in the U.S. of all ages and genders suffer from an eating disorder. 
and more than 70% of those who do struggle with an eating disorder will not seek treatment due to stigma. If you think you may be struggling with an eating disorder, contact the National Eating Disorders Association by calling or texting 800-931-2237.